0: Well, I didn't introduce myself earlier. I am Ron Cole, one of the pastors here at Hillside. And again, it's a joy to welcome all of you here this morning. I, I want to think this morning with you about a, about a subject, about something that impacts, I think, all of us. I think it's safe to say that all of us have to deal with this. What I want to think about with you is, is criticism. Criticism. We all have people uh, in our lives who feel like it is uh, their calling to, to let us know that we're not good enough, to let us know that we don't measure up, to, to remind us of where we've failed. The fact is, uh, some of us deal with more of it, some of us deal with less, less of it, but almost all of us deal with criticism. Maybe it comes from mom, and let me just say my mother is perfect and she would never criticize inappropriately or anything, but some of you, apparently from what I hear, have moms who, who are really good at being able to make you feel guilty. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, these statements like, you know, when, when I had kids your age, they, they never talked to me that way. I wouldn't let them get away with that. Or, you know, it would be easier for your kids to find their toys if you maybe cleaned up every once in a while. <laughs> and, and I always had dinner on the table when Dad came home from work. Would that be so hard one time just to, you know, he's worked hard. To, can you, Right, Mom, fine. I'm not you. Okay. I mean, sometimes it's Mom who, who can just get under our skin, who can just hurt us in those deep ways. Sometimes it's Dad, you know, by the time I was your age. I had already started a new business. By the time I was your age, I had done this. Well, if I were in that situation, this is what I would do. Well, you're not, I am. And I I mean, right? And it just kind of, a way of kind of just cutting us down, a way of hurting us. Maybe it's a coach or a teacher who lets us know that, guys, we're lazy. It's lazy, and, and we're not very bright. We're not very smart. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Sometimes siblings can be the source of criticism. Uh, Sometimes older siblings feel like it's their job to let the younger siblings know that that they just don't know a thing about how to dress. And and, and they don't talk right. They don't use the right terms. They're not very cool. They're a bunch of dweebs. It's just whatever it is. But brothers and sisters, maybe it's somebody at work who, who, who gets at you like that. Maybe it's someone who really does believe they have that gift of criticism. You may have heard the old story joke about the the husband who was always so critical of his wife. She couldn't do anything right, and she decided one morning she was going to make him breakfast that was exactly right. And so she found out the night before, what kind of toast do you want? How do you want your eggs? He said, I want one scrambled. I want one over easy. How do you want this? And so she got up early the next morning, set up everything perfect. I mean, the scrambled egg was light and fluffy. The over easy was exactly right. Put a little sprig of parsley on there. Toast was perfectly buttered. Everything is there. She sets it down in front of him, and he goes, oh. She said, what? And he said, you scrambled the wrong egg. Uh, Now, that's a critical spirit, right? (laughs) I mean, the the fact is we all have people in our lives who have done that to us. We all have people in our lives who have have let us know that we're not good enough. And so I want to think about criticism with you this morning, about how do we handle that, about what do we do about the critics in our lives. In order to do that, I want to look at, at... a portion of 1 Corinthians from the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be deeply, deeply criticized. He was a church planter, right? He was a, an evangelist, a missionary, a pastor. He'd go into a community. He'd tell people about Jesus. He'd gather them together in a church. He'd set things up, pastor them for maybe a year or two, and then he'd move on and, and, and do that all over again. And he was amazingly used by God. Now, because he was effective, he was often under attack from those outside the church, uh, governments weren 't always very happy with him and, 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 and uh, business people weren 't always very happy with him. He messed with the way things were. He changed the world and, 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 and how people behaved and, and, and so people didn 't like that and in some ways, I think it was probably fairly easy uh, you know to, for for Paul to deal with those attacks coming from outside but I think what 's even tougher is the attacks that came from inside the church from from people who had been brought to Christ by Paul himself. But he was no stranger to criticism. I would imagine in 2,000 years that things haven't changed all that much. You know that Paul, he's not such a great preacher. I mean, yeah, he's brilliant, but he's not. He's just kind of boring. He goes into too much detail. He doesn't do what he ought to do with that. And he never listens to anyone. I mean, you talk about ornery. Talk about a guy who's bullheaded. That Paul, he comes in, he never listens to anybody. It's so frustrating, And, and he plays favorites. Just watch after the service. He always talks to the same people. I'm not one of his pets, so he doesn't come and ask how I'm doing. He plays favorites. And he doesn't connect well with the youth. I mean, he's just so stuck in his ways. He doesn't understand what they're going through. He doesn't understand. At that time, it would have been probably Generation A. Maybe they were, that's where they were at the time. But he doesn't connect well with the youth. He's too political. He's not political enough. He preaches too much grace. He doesn't preach enough grace. I mean, Paul was constantly under criticism. And this was no more true than in the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was one that was just just consistently eating at Paul, just consistently attacking Paul. The, the, the Christians in that city were so critical, and I think it had something to do with the, the community in which they were. In some ways, when you hear Corinth from the Bible times, think either it's either Las Vegas or it's New Orleans. It's a port city, so that kind of pushes towards New Orleans. But it's one of these places where, well, it was big into showmanship, Their motto could well have been, you know, let us entertain you. This was a place where they always had the the best of everything. They had the bright lights, they had the top shelf music, and they had the great entertainers. I I mean, in Corinth, you know, you could go and you could get the shows, you could get the speakers, you could get the people who could just alliterate like nobody else's business. And and they were so smooth and they had been so trained and you would just go and and, and see the plays and, and, and so on. And that just wasn't Paul. You see, Paul didn't excel in showmanship. Paul wasn't so much into kind of being so impressive and overwhelming to everybody else. Paul was just Paul. He wasn't, he wasn't the best-looking guy. He wasn't the tallest guy. He, 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 he seems like he kind of is a bit gruff, and, and he didn't speak real clearly. His words sometimes got twisted around. So Paul was in Corinth, a, a sharp source of a uh, subject of criticism. And they were constantly going after him. And again, you know what that's like. On the one hand, it's water off a duck's back, right? But on the other hand, it can hurt us. It can hurt us. And a part of us can die in those situations. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. He writes a letter to them. There's a number of things he wants to talk about. But in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul wants to talk about criticism. And he wants to say, look, this is how you should evaluate me. This is, this is how I look at myself. This is what I do with criticism. Before I read it, let's just kind of, again, did this a couple weeks ago. But where is 1 Corinthians 4 in the Bible? Because we do this all digitally now, many of us, we read on our, our phones or our tablets or whatever. I think it's helpful to recognize that the Bible is actually a book. And, and so where we are is, is, we've got the Old Testament, which is 39 books, and you can see that kind of purple section. It's, it's the, the majority of the Bible by far. New Testament is 27 books. What 1 Corinthians is, it's a letter, what we call an epistle, and that's the green section, okay? Uh, the green section is, is where the epistles are, and 1 Corinthians is one of the first ones. So that's kind of where we are in the story. I, I hope that's helpful. So this is what Paul says. He says, you know, you guys are all into criticism. You guys are all into, into telling me whether I'm a good preacher or not. Or you like me more. you like Apollos more. You're like this person more or that person more. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us. This is how you ought to look at us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove Faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, verse 5, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So far, the reading of God's word. So what do we do with criticism? What do we do? And again, Paul is talking specifically about criticism of his ministry. But in a sense, you know, all we do is ministry. As a parent, we're, it's part of our ministry, right? We, we raise our kids as a grandparent, as, 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 you know, people at work. We try to honor God there. And, and, and so in some ways, when people criticize our parenting, they're criticizing us and, and our service of God. So what do we do with criticism? In, in this verses, I think Paul does two things. He has two things that you and I need to do and, and need to give ourselves permission so that we can be freed up from just being tossed everywhere by the critical nature of some of the people around us. The first thing that we have to t- think about is, is we need to determine the, the right basis for judgment. We need to determine, okay, what's the category? What's the criterion? And, and, and to put it another way, what does success look like? We actually talked about this at our staff meeting last week, Monday morning. We said, okay, what does it mean if we're successful? What does it mean if, if this program is successful? What does it mean for us as a church to be successful? How do you know? Because your definition of success, your criterion of evaluation is going to change things, right? If, if your definition of being a good mom is that your house is always clean, that's going to make you do one thing. If your definition of a good mom is somebody whose kids are always happy, that's something else. If your definition of a good dad is somebody whose kids always obey, that's going to mean one thing. If your definition of success is that your kids are free to express themselves, that they feel comfortable with who they are, and they can dress however they want, and they don't let anybody, if you say, that's success, I've raised an independent child, right? I mean, what does success look like? And, and, And we need to understand that. Particularly, again, as we're trying to think about what we do in God's name, whether it's teaching Sunday school, raising kids, just trying to be God's presence in our workplace. What does success look like? For Paul, there was only one basis, only one criterion, only one thing that mattered, and what that was was faithfulness. For Paul, success is being faithful. Go back to verses 1 and 2. This then is how you ought to think about us. This is how you ought to regard us. Paul says, I am a servant of Christ. Okay, that's who I am. I'm a servant of Christ, and I'm one who has been entrusted. And if you have your own Bible with you and you like to circle words, encircle entrusted. It's a, it's a key word. As those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed, now it is required that those who have been, again, given a trust must prove faithful. Paul says, Here, here's how I look at my life. It's not my own, but I am a servant of God. And I've been given a trust. Everything I have, every dollar I have, every child I have, every hour I have, every minute I have is given to me as a trust. We don't own what God has entrusted to us. We don't own it. It's not our own. It is God's, and we manage it. We steward it. This is not Ron's church. This is God's church. If we ever get that wrong, we got problems. If it's Ron's church, you have every right to criticize me. And my goal is to make you like Ron's church. But if it's God's church, and he has said, Ron, I I entrust a part of this to you as a pastor. And I said, God, I hope I'm faithful. God, I'm a steward. I'm managing what you have given to me. I am, well, the Greek word is under rower, and, and I think that picture is helpful. Let me give you the picture of what that is. It, 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 it's, it actually comes from this. This is a Greek ship. The Roman ships were the same, and the under rowers, <laughs> that's us, right? They're, they're underneath, and their job is to listen to the master rower, and their job is just to pull when they're supposed to pull and faster and faster, slower and slower, deeper with deeper, and you know. I mean that's what their job is. Their job they they don't get to necessarily determine where they're supposed to go. They don't necessarily have in, in some ways they don't determine success. But what they do is they they're faithful. They listen to the voice of the master and they do what the master says. And Paul says, That's when I'm successful. That's what success is. We manage, we are stewards, we are under under rowers, and, and we're called to be faithful. Paul says, that's why the criterion that I use is faithfulness. Am I being faithful? Am I doing the best that I can do with the resources God has given me? And that is so important. Because if we can learn to ask that question, not whether you're impressed with me and so on, but if we can learn to say, am I being faithful with the resources God has given me as a dad, as a mom, as a friend, as a worker, as a boss, am I being faithful? Success is faithfulness. Success is not, from a biblical standpoint, impressing others. In this world, that so often is what success looks like, Right? impressing others with the size of our house, impressing others with our ability on the basketball court, impressing others with our ability to preach, impressing others and having others like us. Now, again, it's really hard because I want you to like me. But if I make success my impressing you, I'm going to have a real rough go of it, friends. Success, it doesn't mean that your mom says, well, you did great. If you make that your criterion of success, you're giving mom way too much power in your life. You're giving Dad way too much power. You're giving your neighbor. You're giving your boss. Success is not impressing others. Paul has made this clear earlier. First Corinthians two. This is from the Message translation. Um, this is how Eugene Peterson translated it. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke on the gospel on the good news that through Jesus Christ we can find new life. I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches, the latest philosophy. I didn't try to make sure you thought Paul is great. He said, No. I wanted you to know that Jesus is great. I, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is, then, Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. Friends, success is not impressing others. It's being faithful with God has given me. And again, if I give myself permission for that, then I can let go of some of those voices out there. I don't have to just be underneath them and saying, oh my goodness, I didn't impress them. Oh no, they thought I was wrong on that. Oh no, I, it's terrible. <laughs> it's not my goal. Success is not impressing others. Success is not getting as big as we can get. In our culture, bigger is better, right? In our culture, and so, I, I, I mean, I think, I, I see this, and and I'm tempted to say it too. Well, is that church successful? Well, they're growing. Yes, they're successful. That's not necessarily the case. Now, I believe with all my heart that as we seek to to be faithful to God, that he can bring us growth, and we want more people to come to Christ, and yes, all of that. But if we say the numbers are going to determine whether we're successful or not, friends, we're setting ourselves up to fail. Because pretty soon we're going to be more worried about getting the numbers than we are about being faithful. We're going to be more worried about whether, whether, again, it's getting bigger and so on than we are about just saying, are we doing what God calls us to do? Success is not getting as big as we can get. It's being faithful. Sometimes that means getting bigger. Sometimes it means getting smaller. But it's, it's about being faithful. It's not about getting as big as we can get. And then this one is really important. But success is not about being better than other Christians or churches. So often that's what we do. So often that's how we decide whether we're successful. How do I compare to somebody else? How, how do I compare to somebody else? And as long as I'm better than some people, I don't have to be the best, but as long as I'm better than some people, then I can feel okay about myself. So, so do you like me more than Pastor so-and-so? Because if you do, I'm okay. Do, do you like it when you come and get to come for baptism and I preach because then I'm okay? <laughs> and... And if I'm better than somebody else, I'm not called to be better than anybody else. I am not called to be better than any other pastor. I'm called to be the best Ron I can be. It is hard to remember that, but it is essential that we remember that. I am not called to be, you are not called to be a better mom than anybody else. You're not called to be more put together than anybody else. You're not called to compare yourself and to be, you know, more whatever than anybody else. Your house has not got to be bigger, better, cleaner than anybody else. You just got to be the best you God created you to be. You're faithful with what God has given you. I'm faithful with what God has given me. And for us as a church, our calling is not to be better Benita Bible or Cornerstone or Kentwood Community or Good News Baptist or East Cutlerville or any other. I, I, one of the things I've, I, I think, and this has really helped me, is, is I, I don't have to worry. I don't, I'm not called to be better than them. I'm called just to help Hillside be the best Hillside Hillside can be. We are who we are. And, 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 and for me, again, I, I look at it and I think, yeah, but I don't do this as well as that person, and I don't do that as well as that person, and, and that still is there, but turn, closing in on 56 here, I'm actually getting more and more comfortable with saying, but I'm who I am. God, this is who you created me to be, and I, I'm just trying to be as faithful as I can be, given who I am, given the, the, the person you made me to be. And friends, that is so freeing if we can start to do that. We don't have to listen into all the criticism of, of anybody else who tells us, "Oh, you do this too much, you do that too little." <laughs> it's OK. I'm not comparing myself with you. I'm just worried about being faithful. I'm trying to be the best Ron that, that I can be. Success friends is faithfulness. And so the question there is, am I doing my best with what God has given to me? Again, it's not that we don't care how we're doing. But but we just don't worry about what everybody says about it. We don't just base it on whether we're bigger, or better, making an impression, whether people tell us we're great or not. Just, am I being faithful? Am I genuinely being faithful? I, I, I think about it. One area that just popped into my mind here is you know there are some guys who pastors who work like eighty hours a week. I'm not one, okay, and and I. I know at times where I've said, I should do that. I should work 85. Maybe I'm just not aggressive enough, but that ain't me, babe. <laughs> you be you, I'll be me. And, and I don't think faithfulness for me means working 80 hours a week. I think it means doing the job the way God calls me to do it, and I think I work hard. But you see how that works so often? We're, we're comparing ourselves to others. We're saying, i got to be like them. No, you don't. God created you to be you. And and your calling is to be faithful to who he created you to be. So we need to determine the right basis for judgment. And then second, we need to determine who has the right to evaluate us. Who has the right to evaluate us? All right, there are three possibilities that Paul is going to give us about the critics in our lives. First of all, it's the critics around us, other people. And and I love what Paul says. Paul says, I I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. I, I really don't worry about when you criticize me, I don't care about your judgment. If you think I'm a two on a scale of one to ten as a preacher, I care very little about that. I'm just not going to let it bug me. Pa- Paul cared very little when other people judged him. But now, here's something we have to recognize because it, we have to take, again, all that Paul says together. Because on the one hand, he said, you know what, I don't care what you think. On the other hand, Paul cared quite a bit when people were genuinely trying to help him be faithful. See, that's a huge distinction. If someone's coming to me as a critic, and and, and you can feel this, you can know this. uh, You know, somebody coming at you critic, they're coming at you like this to try to knock you down. But if someone is coming to genuinely help you, they're coming alongside of you, and they're trying to help you be better. I was talking with another pastor, and I had shared a a criticism an elder had sat down and, and shared with me, and it really wasn't a criticism of the kind that we're talking about now, but it was just kind of saying, hey, you want to think about this. And he's like, oh, that's kind of tough. And I was like, I, I didn't feel like it was tough because I know this elder loves me. I know this elder wants what's best for Hillside. And he's just trying to say, hey, you know, when you do that, we kind of lose people out there. So I'm trying not to say some of those things. But no, I mean, right, he's, it's exactly right. But it, it, the spirit in which it came, the difference between a critic and a helper is, is the spirit of the critic is to try to bring you down. The spirit of the helper is to try to build you up. And I need people to do that for me. And, 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 and so that's, I think Paul makes this clear. I mean, we get it in Proverbs twenty seven seventeen: 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Paul himself in Ephesians chapter 4 wrote these words. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. How do we grow when we speak the truth in love to each other? And, and so that's not that's not the kind of judgment that Paul says. I don't care. And 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 Scarlet's saying, you well, know, it's not up to you to decide whether I'm being faithful or not. But if you have ways to to say, Ron, I think you can be you can be more effective in this if if you help with this, and it, and it makes all the difference in the world the attitude of the person coming towards us. And so Paul says, I care very little if I am judged. And I think he's talking about specifically kind of saying, well, if you tell me whether I'm good or bad, I, you can't do that. To come and say, I think you can be in love. I think we can help. Then I'm going to listen, okay? So, So we have permission, I think, with those people who come in that spirit of judgment. If they are not coming in love, let it go. Let it go. Just be done with it, okay? Paul says, I care very little if you're just trying to judge me. I care a lot if you're trying to help me. So other people, the critics around us. The second one that Paul looks at is, is he looks at himself, ourselves, the critic within us. Uh, we can be our own worst critics, right? We can so often judge ourselves. We get worried because our stuff isn't up to snuff. We're not as good and we do all of that and we, we criticize ourselves. Some of us do that over and over and over again. Paul says this, back to verse 3, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. He says, indeed, I do not even judge myself wow. Paul says, I don't judge myself. I don't don't come and say, well, I got that completely right. You see, because Paul knows something. Paul knows how difficult it is to see ourselves accurately. I am, if anything, amazingly able to, to fool myself about my motives, about my faithfulness, about whether I'm doing this for all the right reasons, about whatever it is. And and so Paul says, I have to just stop. I don't even judge myself. Now again, he strives to be the best that he can be. But he doesn't say, Well, I'm a success or I'm a failure. Again, one of the things I've learned over the course of, of ministry is I've learned not to walk out and say, Well, that was a rotten sermon. Because God has this strange way of taking what I think was a rotten sermon and using it in good ways. Somebody says, What do you mean? Now, it might not have been a great sermon, okay? I can do sometimes better, sometimes worse. But God is going to do what God is going to do. And I have to, at the end of the day, say, look, I, I, I did what I could, and, and I offered it to God, and God, now you're going to use it how you want. But I don't, I don't spend, you know, again, I want to be the best pastor I can be, but I, I, I don't judge myself. Paul says, my conscience is clear. I don't think I've, I've wronged people, that I need to apologize. My conscience is clear, and I love this, but that doesn't make me innocent. So you get that sense of Paul being able to say, you know what, I do look, and I think that, that I have not, you know, damaged people around me. But that doesn't mean I haven't. And so I need to just be open to that. Paul says when it comes to myself, I don't judge myself. I'm going to strive to be what God calls me to be, but I don't judge myself. It's the Lord, he says. It's the Lord who judges me. It, it, it's God. That's, that's who I aim to please. That's the one whose voice I'm worried about. That's the one whose voice I want to hear. And one of the things we need to understand is that when we hear, think about judgment from God, there, there are two kinds of judgment that happen, okay? And, and if we don't keep these straight, we're going to be in big trouble. But there is the judgment of accepted, loved, forgiven justified we talked about it in galatians justified in christ alone by christ alone we are forgiven and i am loved and i am secure in that and i don't worry one bit about god judging me in that area because i have hidden myself in christ i am accepted and loved and forgiven but there's another judgment and i don't worry about it because again i know my god is a god of grace but at the end, there's going to be well done, kind of well done, not so well done. <laughs> I think we have to recognize the Bible is going to say, you know, what did you do? How did you? And so I want to do my best there. But I also want to recognize, <laughs> I, I don't even know if I am or not all the time, but God, I, I, give me a heart that seeks to do that. But, but you've got to keep those separated again, because if you, if you don't, you start to say, oh, oh, God doesn't love me enough, or you start to say, really... <laughs> What matters most is being loved and accepted. Beyond that, I just want to be faithful. And and, and so Paul says, you know what? So just relax, friends. Relax. If you're in Christ, you're loved and you're accepted. Therefore, judge nothing before it's appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, okay? You know, the fact of the matter is we're we're pretty clear that he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of the heart. I think we're all going to find some things that was like, ooh, I was not really well Motivated in that case, or you know what, I did that for the right reason. I think we're going to all look at it and have those times, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. That's what I'm talking about with that well done. You know, you missed on this. I, I, I've said this before, I think I've said it here, you know, that the Lord is our judge and so on. But I, my picture of when I die and get to heaven is that picture of Jesus coming up and putting his arm around me and saying, do you realize <laughs> the things you messed up? It's okay. I, I love you. But let me show you a few things. And I won't feel like, oh, no, I messed up. It's just going to be like, oh, man. So I, I, I love the effort. You're trying. <laughs> but I meant this, not that. Would have been better? Okay. But it, I think in the context of that kind of love that we're going to experience there, it's not going to be like, oh, no, I'm being criticized. It's going to be like, oh, thanks. I see it. And I think, again, that's how I'm trying to learn to live now with that sense of joy and being accepted and being loved and yet also with a deep passion to be all that God wants me to be. So, again, if the first question is, you know, am I doing everything to be faithful? The second question is, who am I trying to please? Who are you living for? Who are you living for? So remember those two things, all right? God has called me to be faithful, not successful. God is my judge. I want to close real quick here story of Clarence Jordan. Some of you may recognize that name. Clarence Jordan was a brilliant guy. He had two PhDs, one in economics, uh, or agriculture rather, and, and one in Greek New Testament. He was a deeply committed Christian and uh, could have done really anything, could have taught anywhere. He was, his, the future was wide open. And what he did is he went to a little place called Americus, Georgia, down in the deep south. And in 1942, he started Koinonia Farms. He started this, this community and it was supposed to be a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God. We talk in our vision about being a place where the kingdom of God becomes real and visible. That's what they were doing. It was a place where black people and white people were going to work together, eat together, share their lives together. It was a place where there would be no segregation. It was a place where, where people of, of more means and less means would get together and they'd support each other and they'd care for each other. So we're going to try to build the kingdom of God here in this place in love and in grace. And in America's Georgia, that was not a a welcome vision. The Deep South was deeply segregated at that time, and people hated the thought of black people and white people sitting at the same table. And he was attacked over and over and over again. Finally, in 1954, the KKK came, and, and, and they burned down almost all the buildings, from what I understand. They riddled Clarence Jordan's house with bullets, and it basically got down to a place Where it was Jordan and his family and one other family. And and the next day, after the the worst of the attacks, a newspaper reporter came out to do a story on the closing of Koinonia Farms. He knew it was going to close because he had been one of the Klansmen who was there and had burned buildings down. So he went out there, and strangely enough, Clarence Jordan wasn't packing a suitcase, he was hoeing the ground and planting seeds reporter said to me, so sorry to hear about what happened last night, Dr. Jordan. When are you leaving? Jordan didn't respond. Newspaper reporter then said this, well, Dr. Jordan, you got two of them PhDs and you put 14 years into this farm and there's nothing left of it at all. Just how successful do you think you've been? I love what Jordan says back. He says about as successful as the cross. Think about that one about as successful as the cross. Sir, I don't think you understand us. What we, we are about is not success, but faithfulness. We're staying. Good day. And they stayed, and they're still there today. In fact, one of the people who joined him not long after that was, "I think it's Millard Fuller, Is that the guy, guy who started Habitat for Humanity?" All came out of this was Clarence Jordan said, "I'm not going to worry about whether we're, we're successful in your eyes. I just want to be faithful. Friends, when we do that, we're free from the criticism. So when we feel the sting of criticism, friends, keep calm. Know that it is the Lord who judges us. And stay faithful. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, have to confess that too often we're worried more about the judgment of the people around us than we are about you. And we're worried more about how we're judged on external things than about our motives and our hearts. So remind us that we live in your amazing grace and your amazing love and help us to stay faithful every day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.